Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Rebecca Chen. I'm a partner with Ready and Newman, and I'll be conducting the conference today. Uh, let's see. It looks like our first. Uh, if you have not already, there is a link in the chat to a Google Sheet um, where we're having people who would like to ask a question um, fill out a brief description of your question, and, and we'll try to go in order from there. Um, so, uh, Shri, it looks like our first question is from Tara. Yeah. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Yeah, thanks for taking time. Um, I just have a quick question. So, I have two 485 applications, one in uh, one with the downgrade EB3, and I did refile it within the EB2 category. Um, and my priority date in EB2 has retrogressed, but it is current in EB3. I did receive that approval, but the Category is E26, uh, basically EB2 category, in which my priority date is currently not current. Uh, is it an issue? Should I be doing anything? Uh, it shouldn't be an issue. We did see that exact same situation quite a bit uh, in the last couple of years, throughout late 2021 and 2022, when USCIS was adjudicating a lot of green card applications that had more than one category in EB3 and EB2, just like yours. And there were a number of situations where the green card was approved in the EB2 category um, when the priority date was actually current in EB3. Um, So from our office, at least, when we got the first reports of some of those um, situations, those approvals, we did contact you with CIS. We contacted the ombudsman's office um, and kind of looked into it, but uh, it didn't really go anywhere. So from there, we we we've just advising been advising people to uh, not worry about it. Basically, the card is approved, um, okay. even if the category is different. It has not been an issue for anyone in that situation. Got it. Yeah. Thank you so much for the information. Sure. Hello. Oh, Kishore, yeah, you can go ahead. Oh, sorry, you're muted again. Oh, uh, can you hear me, ma'am? This is Elijah. Oh, Elijah. Okay, yes, go ahead. Yeah. So my brother is presently attending uh, Heritage Christian University. It's in Heritage. Uh, it's in Florence, Alabama, right now. And I think uh, uh, this morning he was uh, called to the uh, service office and told that. Uh, uh, he was at a liquor store um, uh, and uh, unauthorized work, and his visa right now is terminated. So he was asked to leave immediately. So uh, right now, can he stay to appeal it, or what can be what can be done right now? 
It is pretty limited what can be done if his service record has been terminated. Um, did he mention anything about the SEVIS, S-E-V-I-S? Yes, ma'am, he did. Uh, he talked to the SEVIS officer at his college, and uh -huh. I think uh, uh, the visa status says uh, uh, termination, reason, un unauthorized employment, and I think its, it's status is terminated right now. Yeah, it is. There aren't many options, unfortunately, once the SEVIS record has been terminated, because for F1 international students, um, SEVIS is kind of the system that controls their status while they're in the U.S. If it really was um, like a case of mistaken identity or something like that, where it wasn't unauthorized work, he can try to talk to his school's DSO, the designated school official, who is authorized to update the SEVIS system and try to get them to do a data fix to try to get them reinstated in the system. But um, if it was unauthorized work, there isn't too much that can be done, unfortunately. Um, I would say he probably would need to depart as soon as possible to avoid accruing too much unlawful presence. So from the time his service is terminated, he could be considered to he will be considered as out of status. Okay, so, so can he reapply after go back after coming back to India or what he needs what can be done? He would probably if he wants to try to come back to finish his studies, he would probably need to apply for a new F1 visa stamp with a new I-20 from a school, repay the service fee, although it could be difficult um, to get a new F1 visa approved if there is evidence of prior unauthorized work. Um, he may want to have a, a personal consultation with an attorney um, to discuss his options. Okay, okay. okay. Thank you, ma'am. I really appreciate it. Sure. Hi, Kishore, you're still muted. Oh, yeah. Okay. There, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to check one. Uh, like, uh, my PD is October 2013. Uh, I did downgrade it in October 2020 with amended 140. And I got an RFE of 140 in August 2022. And uh, uh, RFE was never responded by attorney or employer. And again, I filed state EB2 in September 2022 with 485J. And uh, on February 16th of 2023, uh, the RFE got updated saying that uh, uh, the RFE has been, uh, response has been received, but we never responded for the RFE, but uh, the case status is showing that it's been updated. And uh, I'm not sure like, uh, like what is, how to interpret that. Um, are you still working for the I-140 petitioning company? Yes. Okay, and they are sure that they did not send in a response to the RFE for the EB-3 I-140? Yes, yes. Uh, and they've spoken to their attorney, and the attorney is also sure that it was not responded to? Yes. Uh, I mean, there have been glitches at times in the case status website. Um, it is a bit unusual for it to say that a response was received if there wasn't one. Um, and so you can have your attorney try to contact UCIS and find out the status of it. Is the deadline passed for that RFE response? Yeah, because um, 
RFE received August 2022, and uh, the okay. response updated That's is uh, February 2023. Uh, it's past one days. Yeah, it may have been that UCIS, if they're sure no one responded to it, it may have been UCIS intended to update their system to show that it was the EB3I140 was automatically denied due to non-response to the RFE, and they may have clicked the wrong case status. Um, so it may have updated with the wrong case status, whereas it might actually be denied for non-response to the RFE. Um, it sounds like it was pretty recent, so I would give it a couple of weeks to see if something comes in the mail. If it was denied, there should be a hard copy denial notice that goes to your petitioner's office and the attorney's office. Okay. So is this my child's age is locked under the EB2 petition, like which we went and my date was current when one... Uh, yeah, so if you're... Um, if the, yeah, if you filed in December 2022 under the new CISPA guidance, if your child was um, able to file the I-485 along with you in December 2022, their age is considered locked. Okay, thank you. Okay. Hello. Hello. Hi, uh, Rebecca. This is Janesh. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, I'm good. So I did send my question, but I can read it here as well. Basically, mm -hmm. my question is that if employer A uh, can keep my I-140 active, can I work for, you know, employers B, C, D um, under H-1B transfer while my I-140 is still with the old employer? Yes, that's fine. So has your I-485 application been filed or not yet? No, it's not been okay. filed. That... I understand that would be filed when my priority date becomes current, which would probably right. be like 20 years from now, 15 years from now. Yeah, um, hopefully not that long if something changes in the law or USCIS's interpretation. But um, yeah, if your priority date is still um, a ways off from being current at this time, um, yeah, you can definitely transfer to any other company on your H-1B um, even a series of companies. And if employer A always keeps your I-140 approved without withdrawing it and basically still always has that job offer open for you, um, then when your priority date does become current, you could file the I-485 based on employer A's I-140 approval. They would just sign uh, a J supplement at that time, confirming that they are still supporting your green card application. Um, and yeah, basically if employer A agrees to do that, you wouldn't necessarily need any subsequent employer like BCDE. You wouldn't necessarily need any of them to go through the permanent I-140 process for you again. Um, but that's if you know, you're sure employer A is going to continue supporting the, the I-140 and that they remain in existence. Um, because we've seen that too over um, you know, a number of years that it takes the priority date to become current. Even if the company intends to keep it active, if the company gets goes out of business, gets acquired um, in a situation where they're not a successor in interest, you, know, you have to keep that in mind also. Okay, and so when I uh, go for my H1B extension stamping, I would just take the employer AI140 every three years and that should be fine. Um, you would just provide the I-140 approval notice from employer A to include with 
the I-129 petition filed to USCIS, and that will enable you to get indefinite three-year extensions of your H-1B status until your party date becomes current. You don't necessarily need to provide it to the consulate for visa stamping um, because it will already be part of the H-1B petition that the consulate will have on file. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like I, in this approach, I should be fine. And, and if I can pursue this approach, then it sounds like I don't really have to worry about anything. Thank you. Sure. Mahendra? Mahendra? Uh, hi. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Rebecca, this is Mahendra. Hi. Go ahead. Yeah, Rebecca. Good evening. So this is Mahendra. I have a question about my daughter, uh, aged out daughter, uh, uh, GC uh, filing. Uh, yeah, yes. I, I missed... Uh, I missed her uh, including in my 485 because like uh, she aged out at the time, like when I'm filing my 485. So with the new CSPA, is there any possibility that I can add her? It's difficult to say right now. The new guidance that came out recently, what we do know is that it covers uh, anyone with a still pending I-485 or if the child had filed the I-485 and then it got denied because it they aged out under the old guidance. Um, the guidance, the new guidance doesn't specifically address the situation of, of a child who was unable to file the I-485 at all in the first place um, because okay. their party date wasn't current according to the final action dates chart at that time. That is something that our office is kind of looking at in coordination with our um, partner, Stephen Brown, who's, you know, the head of our litigation team to see, you know, look at if there's any way to interpret the guidance to, to help children who were unable to file in the first place. In your situation, um, for your daughter, do you know that, like, when you looked at the, um, her CISPA age, the month that she aged out of 21, would she have been eligible? Like, was her would she have been current under the filing dates chart, chart B, in that month? Uh, actually, she aged out uh, uh, 2021, July 17th. And uh, uh, August 1st, like uh, my uh, GC current date, priority date is current. So it's about like a, a 13 days or a 14 days we are in track. Okay. Do you recall what the filing dates chart looked like in July 2021? So what you'll have to do, um, even for, I mean, even for this to be a potential would be, you need to draw up the July 2021 visa bulletin and look at what chart B looked like at that time and see if she was eligible to file under chart B in July 2021. Um, if so then it's still not guaranteed that there is a pathway to file for her now, but, you know, it's something that we're potentially looking at. If she was not eligible under Chart B either, though, in July 2021, then um, even under this new guidance, I don't think there would be any, any uh, actually, Yeah, actually, before 2021, uh, uh, for a couple of months, uh, uh, filing dates are current. But actually, I'm out of status, so I'm back in India. So my daughter's studying here on uh, F1. Uh, uh, so but still, I couldn't able to file because I'm not here. Right. Okay. That may be a more complicated situation where, where the reason that she wasn't able to file wasn't 
necessarily due to the visa bulletin, but because you were outside the U.S. at the time. Um, yeah, that's going to be a more difficult case, I would say. Um, I would say at this time, my feeling is that there may not be many options um, under this new guidance because it doesn't kind of address that type of situation at all. Um, but I would recommend to definitely keep, um, you know, uh, updated through our uh, YouTube channel, that sort of thing, and see if if we are able to make any progress on under this new guidance for anything that, you know, a category of kids who were unable to file in the first place, then maybe you could take another look at that time. Sure. Thank you very much, Robert. Have a sure. wonderful evening. Kartik. Kartik. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, perfect. Uh, hi, Rebecca. So I have a quick question. So, uh, so uh, I was working for a company until Jan 4th. And my company, uh, you know, unfortunately, I was part of a layoff uh, uh, on Jan 4th, 2023. So, but the company said uh, uh, I would be on official payroll with all benefits and everything as it is until March 24th, 2023. So uh, a couple of points. So first point is, when will my 60-day grace period start? Yeah, that's kind of the big question right now. Um, that is a bit of a gray area. So... UCIS has not clarified that. Um, they did a Q&A session recently um, on mm -hmm. you know, the status of workers affected by recent layoffs. And that was one of the questions that was asked to UCIS. Like, when does do they consider the 60-day grace period starting? It's the last day you report to work. It's the last day that you're on um, like the regular payroll yeah. or the last day that you receive your final severance payment. Um, and UCS has not yet clarified that. Um, we've been leaning more towards the last day that you're on normal payroll. So, um, and I would say that in the situation where we are filing in that situation, for example, if we have filed cases where we have filed within 60 days of the last payroll. So within 60 days of March 24th in your situation, and we haven't seen any pushback from USCIS, um, you know, asking when the last day they reported to the job was, that sort of thing. Um, so unless and until USCIS comes out and actually clarifies um, when the 60 day grace period starts to run, I would, say that if you, of course, the earlier that you can file something, um, the stronger your position is. If you can get something filed within 60 days of January 4th, that's always strongest. But if that's not possible, I would still try, um, you know, filing something. I would still feel comfortable trying to file something within 60 days of March 24th. Within 60 days of March 24th, meaning from March 24th, right? That's the second option. Right. Yeah, that's the day you said your okay, last payroll run, right? Understood. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, just a, one uh, clarifying point on that. So mm -hmm. when 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 you say I have 60 degrees period, be it from Jan 4th or March 24th, so will the application has to be approved and I start working before the 60 degrees period or just my LCA or application is filed with USCIS in the 60-day period is good enough? Yeah, it needs to be filed with USCIS within that 60-day grace period, not necessarily approved within that 60 days. Um, but the okay. I-129 petition does need to be filed and pending within those 60 days. Okay, so 
so then uh, USS wouldn't you know, generally give any queries on that. Is that a fair understanding? We if have not seen any so far. Um, is what I can okay. say for okay. now. And then, yeah, we don't know if USCIS will, you know, any day now they might come out with their responses to that Q and A session. Um, it just took place a few weeks ago, so um, so that answer may change depending on USCIS's guidance if they come out with something. Thank you so much. Uh, do you? I mean. Just to complete, do you know where can I find those you know answers from USCIS? Is there any forum I could refer to, or like an official um, forum? They have been updating some of them on their um, FAQs page, um, but I would say okay. definitely if USCIS comes out with anything, our office will definitely be uh, talking about it on our YouTube channel, either you know posting it the okay. same day or um, definitely in our sure. Tuesday afternoon. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Sure. Ramesh, Ramesh. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so my question is, uh, this was in back in 2017. I have not submitted my uh, offer letter within the 90 days of time period. I have submitted after 100 days, I think. So it could be an, an issue because after that, I've done my second master's as well. I got my H1B approved. Uh, everything is good. So I just want to, I'm wondering like, is there an issue in the down the line or how does it? Um, do you mean submitted to your DSO, the offer letter back when you were? Yeah, on we should, uh, usually we should submit within the 90 days of uh -huh. initial OPT, right? I missed that and I've submitted, maybe I don't have that much knowledge at the time. Maybe I submitted like around hundred days after that. Did you so, start working within the 90 days um, or you didn't receive the job no, until 97? No, I'm Okay. Yeah. Um, if you, like you said, you've changed to H-1B status at this point, um, yeah. if it was going to be an issue, I would say it would have come up at your H-1B change of status application, okay. because that's okay. the point where UCS would be looking at whether you properly maintained F-1 status, and that would be part of your OPT um, employment. So if it didn't come up, then I doubt that it would be a problem going forward, especially if you have traveled and come back into the U.S. since then. Uh, since then, I'm not traveled. Okay. Um, still, I would say it is unlikely the consulate would bring it up either. We have seen the consulate bring up issues um, from F1 and OPT status, even for people who have been in H1B status for several years. However, those issues are usually um, stuff related to day one CPT use, um, usually from that handful of universities that the government is well aware of that issue day one CPT um, or some of the uh, the Aztec and the some of those kind of OPT uh, fraud situations. Those are the types of situations we see the consulate bringing up, um, you know, even if it's been several years since the F1 or OPT status. For something like this where you know you just submitted the offer letter about a week late. I would be, I wouldn't think the consulate would bring that up. So I don't. I think it's a very low chance of any problems. Uh, even for usually, what I okay. Usually, what I come to know is after ninety days, the service would get terminated automatically. So, but if it would have terminated, I would have get notice yeah. or something. But, if it yeah. had been terminated, then you wouldn't have you would have had trouble changing to H one B status in the first place. So if so, that already I'm wondering that doesn't but doesn't not got uh into that state or usually it comes or sometimes that's what my question is. 
I mean, it depends I'm on your DSO. So it may have been that your DSO just didn't, you know, update the system within those 90 oh. days. Okay, so the DSO is the, okay. Usually the DSO gonna um, make mm -hmm. the status after the 90 days. Okay. So maybe if if in down the line the issue gonna be raised up when I go to India uh, for the consulate for the stamping or something, that's what he's saying. Um, I I think there's a very low chance that it will be a problem. Okay. Okay. So is there a way? Can I check? Uh, maybe did I went out of status or something? They where, where can I check if I want to check? I don't think you did, or at least from the government standpoint, there's they if it. If you did, then they wouldn't have granted your H-1B change of status. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Is there, uh, there is no way where I can check whether I went out of status or something like that? No. I doubt the DSO would, you know, still have records from back then. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Robert. Guru? Yeah. Guru? Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my uh, question. Uh, basically, we filed adjustment of status for my uh, uh, for my parents uh, back in January um, of 2022. It's been more than a an year, and we haven't received any response both uh, on uh, on any of the applications like um, AP, uh, EAD, 130, and uh, 485. Is there something that we can do to? Uh, uh, to get this expedited. Uh, okay. So are you are you a US citizen and you filed for your parents? Uh, it, I didn't, my sister filed it, but yeah, yes. Okay, she's, she's a, a citizen. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah, I would say about a year is unfortunately not uncommon for family-based cases. Um, for right. family-based cases, the final case is adjudicated by the local field office where the applicant's home address is listed. So there can right. be pretty different processing times depending on the local field office and how backlogged they are. Um, right. It is a bit rare for the advanced parole and EAD to still not be issued at this point if they were filed at the time the I-45 was filed back in January yes. 2022. Um, yes. So our office has done some litigation on what's called the interim benefits delays, which is the EAD AP delays for people with a pending AOS application. Um, most of those uh, lawsuits that our partner Stephen Brown has done have been the EAD AP delays, mostly AP delays for people with a pending employment-based I-485, but the principle is pretty much the same for a family-based I-485. So, um, at least there may not be too much that can be done to expedite the actual I-485 because that depends a bit on the field office, but at least for the advanced parole, I would okay. say you can um, explore litigation as a potential option. Um, if you would like to look into that, um, you can send an email to Stephen Brown in our office. His uh, email is stephen at rnlawgroup.com. And um, you can just give him a, I'll put his, email in the chat. Did I spell it correctly? Yeah. Um, I see. Yeah. Thank you. And so give him a brief description and um, he can schedule a quick call with you to um, discuss the potential. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for that information. I'll reach out. Sure. Thank you.
narsima hey hi hey hi rabika so i do have a question on concurrent h1b mm -hmm. so i did hear rahul mentioned about whenever we enter the country uh on primary h1 if we have concurrent h1 we need to uh, refile or amend the concurrent h1 the many times right. that we mm -hmm. enter like uh, well, what is the reason i i remember rahul mentioned about uh, that concurrent h1b i 797 is not updated with the latest i94 yeah yeah because um at the time that you're in the us um if you're working for the primary employer and then employer b you want to start working concurrently for them they file the petition for you once that petition is filed and approved uh, you're authorized to, I mean, you're authorized to be working for both companies once that application is filed. Um, and then you get an approval notice for employer B that is specifically an approval notice for concurrent employment. The problem is then when you go for visa stamping and then come in at the border, the consulate and CBP don't have any way to recognize more than one, um, employer on an approval notice. So when you go for visa stamping, you can only choose visa stamping under one certain employer. And then when you come in um, with that visa stamp, you should be coming in under that same employer's I-797 approval notice. So then when you come in and get the I-90, your most recent I-94 is what controls your status. And when you enter the US CBP, automatically issues you an I-94, the electronic one that you get from the website. And that I-94 is only going to be authorized for whichever employer's I-797 that you use to enter. Um, and so from the time of entry, technically you're only authorized to be working for that company whose approval notice you showed at CBP. It is a bit of a gray area also. Um, I would say that to be on the safe side, we have been recommending that people do refile the concurrent petition in order to authorize them to, again, work for both companies. Because, again, USCIS hasn't really clarified this situation either. All we know is that from the time of entry, the I-94 issued to you by CBP is what controls your status, and that was issued by CBP based only on one company's approval notice. So technically, you're only from that entry able to work for that company until Company B files another concurrent application for you. And it could be a, an amendment, like you said, so that they could just submit lesser filing fees potentially, but it is kind of um, a pain that every time well, you yeah. re-enter the yeah. U.S. Yeah, I got that, Rebecca. So like, whenever we go for the amendment, right, what would be the reason for the amendment? Like, because there is no employment change. There is no change in the employment, right? So so I got the concurrent H-1B approved, meaning I can work for the employer. And if, if yes, yes, check my I-94, they know that, hey, I-94 got updated, right? Mm -hmm. And on what basis I can go and file the amendment? You can just say that you're filing the amendment to update the I-94 to be for concurrent employment status. So you don't necessarily need to have a change in your job title, duties, or salary, or work location. If there is a change, then you can update it in the application at that time also for any of those job details. But um, 
if there isn't any change, the job details can all match exactly the previous concurrent application. And, mm -hmm. you know, the employer can, or the attorney in their cover letter can just say that these this amendment is being filed because there was travel in new I-94 that only authorized single employment. And so this amendment is being filed to update that I-94 for concurrent employment. Got it, got it. Yeah, but like the visa and I-94, they are just to enter the United States, right, Rebecca? But they're not yeah. giving the work authorization. Well, the I-94 does give work authorization. So the visa issued by the consulate is only used at entry. Um, yeah. And once you're in the U.S., the document that controls your status and work authorization is the I-94. So that's why, because the I-94 from CBP is only issued based on one company's approval notice, there's the argument that you're only authorized to work for that one company from the time of entry. Got it. But uh, but you, you're, I mean, like your form is recommending to file it, but there is no uh, where USCIS wrote about it, right, Rebecca? Am I correct? Technically not. Yeah, there hasn't been like a memo from USCIS okay. on that issue. It's it. yeah. Good to know. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay. Um, I think I can take one more question. Nadesh. Yeah. Hi, Rebecca. Uh, yeah, I have a question. Like, uh, I'm planning to apply uh, H4EAD for my dependent, and my uh, I-797 uh, starts with WAC. Uh, it means like uh, I have to send the application to Arizona Center WAC. But my question is like, can I send this uh, application to other centers like Protomac or somewhere because uh, Arizona location taking a while, like seven to eight months, the minimum time and the Protomatic Center, which we send the applications for I-1 uh, H4EAD, it's getting up to like in two to three months. Yeah, unfortunately not. So. Um... You do have to file the I-539 and I-765 to the location that the most the, the current UCIS website says to file it at, which is usually they say to file it at the location that the H-1B, the principal H-1B was approved with. So if your um, receipt number was WAC, that means yours was approved from the California Service Center. So the actual mailing address um, for Phoenix, that is actually a lockbox. It's not um, a service center. Um, that's just like a, a lockbox where USCIS collects a lot of different types of applications and mm -hmm. caches the filing fees, and then they route them, they forward them from there to different service centers. So your actual your um, spouse's H-4 EAD would actually be processed at the California Service Center because mm -hmm. that's what WAC uh, refers to. And they, yeah, unfortunately there can be quite a difference between service centers and processing times, but mm -hmm. there isn't really a way to select um, a faster service center when filing the H-4 EAD. Um, if you did try to send it to a different filing address, um, mm -hmm. they would either reject it, like send it back to you, which could take weeks. Sometimes it's like four to six weeks later before you get it back in the mail. Um, okay. Or um, the lockbox that you file it with, if they see that it's filed at an incorrect location, they'll just forward it themselves to where it was supposed to go. Okay, got you. Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. Sure. Um, oh, actually, uh, for Naresh, it, 
If you um, would like to try to get the H4 EAD uh, faster for your spouse um, under the kind of new, after the litigation that um, our office was a part of, this would require some cooperation from your employer. But if your H1B employer is willing to file another H1B application for you, like an amendment plus extension, and the amendment can be for any small reason, um, any like a small increase in salary. And if they are willing to file it, even if your extension is not really needed this year, um, and if you file in premium processing, you can file the H-4 and EAD together with an H-1B. And the new rule is that any new H-1B, H-4, EAD applications that are filed all three together will get approved together. Um, meaning that you can get your spouse's H-4 EAD potentially approved in two weeks from filing if it accompanies an H-1B, but that will require um, kind of your employer's willingness, of course, to file another um, potentially not really necessary H-1B application for you. Um, okay, sorry we weren't able to get to all the questions. Um, the next conference call will be tomorrow at 11.30 Central Time, and you can also schedule an appointment with any of our attorneys by going to our website, rnlawgroup.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.